0: You're listening to The Originators, a
1: 2FM collective podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Rick O'Shea and welcome to this episode of RT, 2FM's podcast series Originators. Throughout the series, I'll be talking to Irish under 35s from sometimes wildly varying fields who found success and finding out how it happened and who they really are. This episode was recorded in the cocktail bar at the Westbury Hotel in Dublin. But I stress, it was first thing in the morning and no mojitos were harmed in the making of this interview. James Kavanagh is one of Ireland's most prominent social media influencers. Although, as he told me, he hates that word.
1: Sounds like a bad word to me. Um Why? I think... It sounds a bit cringy, first of all Everyone influences everyone Why do I get the title of influencer? I don't seek out to influence Like an accountant seeks out to accountant things (laughs) And I don't seek out to influence So I don't know why I'm called an influencer But I think it's for It's it's just because there's a new uh, set of people doing something And people, they haven't been around long enough to properly name So it's just the first thing that someone named in a paper, I think And then it's just been called that ever since But, um yeah, I have loads of followers on social media um, and I just kind of do my life and people find that interesting. Um, so yeah, I've been called an influencer because some people maybe buy things that I talk about on my on my Snapchat account or they go to places I go to because I go there. But again, it's not something I, I've been seeking out. I prefer maybe social media star.
0: Having said that, though presumably you are now at that stage where you have a profile, as so many people do these days, uh, mm. who are who are prominent on social media, yeah. uh, where you get approached by by you know by people, places, by brands, by whatever, and they ask you to to you know involve yourself in in them. Mm. Do you feel weird
1: about that? Well, it it, it started um, about I'd say a year and a half ago. Um, I was working in my full time PR job, and um, I was uh, scaring my boyfriend William on Snapchat. That's kind of what I did. Um, and that's what got me the following because people were like, oh, follow that guy. He scares his boyfriend. He scares really. He's really funny, you know, when he gets scared. And um, then I, I seen people kind of vlogging their day to day lives. So I decided to do that. But from scaring William, then I was kind of um, Snapchatting us making food at home, the stuff I'd buy for the house. I'm mad about interiors. And then when I got a following, brands and stuff started to approach me and um, because I kind of had a young following. So it was brands that wanted to tap into that young audience. Um, And no, I didn't find it weird at all. I was kind of excited by it because uh, there was money involved. And, um, uh, you know, the money started to nearly match the wage I was on in my PR job. So I was like, hang on, I can hand the notice in here and go off and be a full-time influencer for want of a better
0: word. Obviously then, as, as you said, if you take huge tracts of your life and you put them online, does that create any kind of friction? Like between you and your partner, for instance, is is that, do you have to create spaces where you go, yeah, that, that, that's offline, that, that's, that's never going
1: online? I think probably the only thing that's offline is maybe sex. And everything else is in <laughs> everything play? Everything else is fair game. Yeah, um, no, it, it, he's way less kind of... Um, uh, forthcoming than I am um, and sometimes it gets a bit difficult like if we're away on holiday or something and I'm you know he. we were in Italy last summer and we were looking at this gorgeous sunset and he was like look at the sunset and I'm like trying to put a filter on my phone to capture the sunset properly we've all been there yeah, yeah so yeah. I'm not seeing the sunset through my own eyes I'm seeing it through your phone so a lot of the time I'm not really in the moment and like if I'm at dinner I'm constantly on my phone trying to you know dangle above my ex-Benedict to take a nice photo and a nice Snapchat and explain what I'm doing because that's my life I kind of I, I, I make a living from Broadcasting my life, so I feel like well I, I get kind of panicky when I'm not doing it, because um, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of panicky now actually. Now that I'm, I'm not doing this, uh, but yeah, it creates a bit of friction now and again. But I think he kind of has to understand that this is this is my life.
0: I'm reading a book just at the moment, coincidentally, by a guy called Daniel Leviton who's a, a neuropsychologist, and he talks about how human brains try and deal with the world that we live in in the 21st mm. century, in terms of you know media and in terms of the internet and social media in particular. He has a, a huge amount to say about concentration and about focus, and in particular when people have jobs that require them to to spend prolonged periods of time. You're focused on a, on a project that you're doing, or you've got to, you know, knuckle down and do something. And that the hit that you get from social media, whether it's checking tweets or whether it's just you know having a look and seeing what's happening or going into Facebook, that that completely ruins any ability to to focus. So, from a work standpoint, do you think that that affects your ability to focus on, on, on like long term projects for instance
1: definitely yeah um, and I guess I'm kind of in a good position that I'm I don't have to work on things that are you know uh, long term and um, I'm very much living my life day to day now and um, so that really hasn't affected me I am in the background trying to set up a cafe which is very long term and I'm tr- trying to put the business plan together at the moment and I find that very difficult to kind of concentrate on um, but at the moment I haven't really seen that much of, a, of an effect because I literally find out my schedule for the week ahead on the Sunday. Do you know what I mean? If a brand wants to work with me this day or, you know. So, no, it hasn't really affected me yet. But I'd say that is something that's probably going to affect me.
0: So, for instance, the idea of of influencer, I'm using the dirty word again, sorry. (laughs) But social media star. In in terms of social media star. (laughs) The the long term plan for that is always the hard thing for for people, whether they they started being YouTubers 10 years ago or whether they're people who are prominent through through Snapchat now. What's the long term plan? Is there
1: one? I think I think it's a bit foolish for influencers these days not to have a long term plan and not to be kind of making something happen while they have this bit of a springboard. I think, and um, so for me, I'm making a cafe uh, food business, and um, it's not a, it's not just a cafe. We're doing a cookbook as well, and and we we cater events, and I'm I'm trying to make this like mini food empire. But I'm definitely using the following I have now to springboard that because I think that's the long term thing. I think what I'm experiencing now, this like little bit of social media fame thing that's happening, um, won't last forever. I just don't see it lasting forever. Um, and I actually worry for other people who have left their jobs, they're now uh, influencing full time and they're not kind of creating something that has a bit of longevity. So that's something that's a priority for me anyway. Do you have any advice
0: to, let's say, younger people who are at a stage now whereby they're maybe 16, 17, 18, maybe 19, whatever, and, and they aspire to influence her as, as an end in and of itself? Do you have any advice for them?
1: Well, I actually do a lot of school stuff. I go around to secondary schools a lot and I meet Kids and they're like, I want to do what you're doing, and it looks great fun. And but I worked for six years in pure before this, you know. So I, I I do always say you need to have backup. You need to go to college, um, and you, you need to work a bit first because if this all you know went tits up, I could go back into Pure and that'd be fine. Um, but I'd worry about some you know eighteen year old who's leaving secondary school and just wants to you know go is going straight into this and wants to, you know is avoiding college or avoiding a proper job. Um, I think that's foolish. And I actually think the the six years in pure and that kind of me, I've been working since I was 16. I think that has influenced me now and has created um, whatever character I have now that people seem to like. That wouldn't have happened if I didn't put that work in and have that life before this Um And if you look at any successful YouTuber or influencer or whatever, they have had this career or something beforehand that's in a way shaped what they're doing now. Um, So I think young people really need to see the bigger picture and, and do something beforehand or have a backup. A backup is essential. Is it satisfying to be able to positively influence kids like that? Yeah 100% um, And uh, for example I'm doing the sex education stuff on my Snapchat So I was um, I was uh, snapping a couple of, uh, about a month ago now at this stage About how I think it's brilliant 500 hours of mental health education Has been added to the curriculum so it's compulsory now um, Which is something in this day and age is so necessary Mindfulness and, and all that sort of stuff And I was saying how, I, I then went on and I was saying how I'd love if food science was compulsory because there's so many issues with food and you know you learn a lot of stuff in school but there's a lot of stuff that would be beneficial I think that should be maybe added on and uh, stuff taken out and um, and then I was talking about sex education and I, I was talking I was talking about how m- my sex education was really bad and um, we were literally taught penis plus womb equals baby like that was it so I then I was asking because I've loads of teenagers who follow me that are in skills I was like tell me what your sex education is like because Improved. Getting, I was getting tons of messages saying it's pretty much the same. And um, I was getting messages off teachers saying that um, the uh, curriculum, their hands are tied by the curriculum, and their hands are tied by the you know a chaplain maybe who's still very much involved in the school, or that you know their their hands are tied by the board, and there's a lot of conservative parents on the board, and they don't allow them push the boat in terms of sex education. STIs they don't they've never heard of S- some STIs they're only thought about pregnancy and heterosexual sex and um, so that I was like okay right I'm going to teach sex education now so I did these sex education lessons every Tuesday on my Snapchat and I'm being sent you know snaps of eighteen year olds in clinics being checked and they're like yes I'm being checked in the clinic and. I, they're kind of sh- telling me they've been checked and it's it's I can s- literally see the influence in that sense. So yeah, it is really nice to, to see a positive influence happening.
0: I've had conversations with a number of my friends over the last year or so. Do you think there's been any real change in Ireland since the marriage referendum was passed in general, attitudinally?
1: Yes, 100%. Um, I even noticed a couple of weeks after um, the yes vote went through, there was same-sex couples holding hands. I'd never noticed that before. Now I'm seeing it everywhere. And I think it it, it went beyond an acceptance for I do. You know, it it, it was accepting gay people even more than they were accepted before. It wasn't just about marriage, I don't think. It was about us as a society fully coming to accept something that was... You know, a criminal offence in the 90s. Um, So it was more, for me anyway, I actually don't believe in marriage. I don't want to get married. Um, But I campaigned for the marriage referendum because I felt like it was more than the sum of its parts. You know, it was more than just um, weddings and registry offices. It was a way bigger thing. And I have seen such a, 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 a change. Why don't you believe in marriage? Um, I think it's like, for me, it's like a stamp on a passport, and I believe in everyone should have the choice to do what they want, and I, I, for some people, marriage is something that they feel they want to do and they need to do, and that's brilliant, you go do that, but for me, it's not something I feel I need to do. In my life, I want to set up a, a food business. I want a gorgeous house down the country. I want dogs. I actually want two kids. I never wanted kids before. There's loads of milestone things I want. Marriage is just another milestone milestone. Um, I have, a, you know, a boyfriend I love, and I think he's the one. Um, I don't think we're ever going to break up, but I don't see why we need that stamp on our passport of marriage.
0: I'm going to take a swift right-hand turn here. Um, your brother is John Kavna He is. Who's uh, Conor McGregor's trainer. Is that strange? Is that unusual? Is it something that people bring up a lot? Is it something that they try to used to start conversations
1: mm-hmm. um, I get uh, you know I get a lot I get some messages now and again from from guys being like you're John Cabez but there's no chance you can get him to sign this or you know things like that do people look for tickets annoying, all the time all the time oh, yeah, okay. all the time and like yeah I get, get a couple of people in a, in a usy kind of way trying to butter me up to get John to do something or to, to meet John which becomes annoying it's not happening as much anymore but um yeah, it's, it's I I love John. I think he's brilliant um, and he's so inspirational. And I think his story, you don't even have to be into MMA, but his story alone of how he got bed up and, you know, he went into self-defense and then he did this and he brought jiu-jitsu to Ireland. And that story of success can be applied to anyone and it can be attractive to anyone. Um, so it's it's mad having a brother like him, but it's, it's really good. And uh, people are now... Re- re- figuring out we're brothers, like it's, it was always a thing where I'd be doing something and I'd say it or he'd say it and people would be like, what, you're brothers? Um, And we actually did a a talk in UCC the day before yesterday uh, down in Cork and it was the first, it was with Tato, so it was the first kind of job thing we've done together and it was so funny because we were in this massive lecture hall and there was one half of all these like Huns, girlos that were for like clearly for me because that's my demographic, I'm 90% women on Facebook, you can see your stats. And then the other half were all these, like, gym lads that were for John and Conor McGregor. So it's just funny to see that split, you know?
0: Um, Did he ever try and train you at any point?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, When he started... um doing karate lessons that's how he started um, I was forced to go because when he needed to do a move on a, someone to show the rest of the class I was the, the body Were you the dummy? I was oh, the dummy Okay. I was his punching bag for so long um, and yeah I was made to go to karate and then he started to teach jiu-jitsu and I was made to go to that till I was about 16, 17 um, and I hated it um, but now I'm kind of like I'm kind of I, I go to his gym now and again and I kind of enjoy it I think it was just because I was made go I didn't like it um, But I often think He practiced loads on me growing up Like he'd always be uh, Practicing a choke on me And seeing the point Just before I passed out And you know How far he could bend my arm back Before Brothers I Brothers tend to do that yeah. yeah Been there So I kind of feel This is a bit of a leap But he finessed his technique on me and then passed it to Conor McGregor. So maybe I have some sort of... You're responsible
0: you know, for his for success.
1: I'm responsible for Conor's yeah. success. I think I can say that. Small yeah. stretch, but it's yeah. <laughs> worthwhile.
0: Um, is it true that you, that you were bullied when you were in secondary school as well? And did that... Help in any way Or was that Was that part of the equation
1: Uh, I was really badly bullied Until third year And um, I wasn't out then uh, As a gay I knew I was gay um, But uh, It was just not an atmosphere You could come out Like you know The word faggot Was thrown around uh, You know Nearly every 10 minutes I always was I always used to think What is with Young straight boys Obsession With gay people They have this Undying obsession It's so bizarre But anyway, I was like, I can't come out in this this atmosphere. And I was asked... I remember even being asked if I was gay was because they'd always do it when it was like the class was quiet or something and they'd turn around and they'd be like James, are you gay? And it was just it was like a dagger to my heart so I just associated being gay with this unhappiness and um, I ended up being a, kind of a troublesome teenager because I was experiencing this horribleness in school and I'd go home and I can only see this in hindsight now but I'd go home and I'd take it out with my parents and I was a total terror or my parents would tell you this um, so then they decided to send me to boarding school to try and like maybe fix this terror child they had Um, but the truth of it was I was just really deeply unhappy because I was so badly bullied I hated going to school I felt sick walking to school there was like a a knot in my stomach Um, and then I went to boarding school and in my mind, in my juvenile mind, you know, I was in the school in Dublin. I was being really badly bullied. What the hell is this boarding school I'm like in the middle of the country going to be like? I felt like, you know, there's going to be pit farmers with pitchforks being like,
0: get the gay out. You didn't think Hogwarts, no? Is that not your first thought? That's- I
1: did kind of think, because the building did look a bit Hogwartsy, But then I was like, oh, Middle Ireland, they're going to hate me even more. Not, yeah. Do you know? But then I went and I loved it. And boarding school is like a melting pot of different cultures because there's people from, you know, so many different cultures, there's people from different religions. So it was actually so much more accepting than, you know, the school in Dublin. Um, and I flourished there. I really did. I came out of my shell. I came out as soon as I went to the school. No one batted an eyelid. Um, I was like, you know, working on plays there. I did really well. And yeah, that was the beginning of of my, of being me, I think, because I had no friends up until third year. Not one friend. Um, And then I gained loads of friends and I kind of became a really popular person in school, which was so um, opposite to what I was in my first school.
0: I've asked everybody in this series about music uh, because it's important to everybody I've talked to. What about you? What do you listen to?
1: I am obsessed with Enya. Love Enya. I wasn't expecting that. Were you not? Nope. Orinoco Flow. Such a like high lifting song. Um... Yeah, music is so important to me, um, even when I'm going, like, speak, you know, if I'm speaking at something or whatever, I have to put, like, really uplifting music on, on the way to the place, um, so it is important. Um, I, I, I never really know what's in the charts. Um, Fleetwood Mac are probably my favourite band. Um, I listen to Dreams nonstop. <laughs> um, what else do I like? Love Early Madonna, Ray of Light. Um, That album is amazing
0: Your dad is a Really strong influence On you isn't he
1: He is yeah Um, And he's the He's the person I grew up hating Absolutely hated him Um, He's He's now he's in his late sixties and he still gets up at seven a.m. every single morning. He is semi-retired. He's a builder, um, but he still goes out and does his thing. And like he never used to let me lie on in the mornings, and I love sleeping in the mornings. And he'd always come in at like he'd come back, you know, for like to get something at like maybe nine or half nine or ten, and he'd go ballistic if I was still in bed on a Saturday or a Sunday. So I, I grew up hating him, but now I'm finding that uh, way of... Uh, that his ethics are now in me. I'm very panicky if, I don't, if I'm not doing stuff all the time or um, if I'm not achieving stuff or if, you know, William's in bed too long. I I, I get panicky like that and that's definitely for my dad. Um, so he's definitely had a positive influence on me even though I would hate for him to hear this. So I hope he's not listening. So then, what do you do to relax? What do I do to relax? Do you know, ironically, I... You adore being on my own. I'm such a loner, um, and I think maybe it's because like I, I'm I'm out and about all day, and I'm I'm meeting loads of people, and um, I'm have been working with schools for the past couple of months with a, for a Bank of Ireland um, uh, campaign I'm doing. So I'm meeting like a lot of people constantly. So when I go home, I actually don't like having friends over. Um, I love just. Lighting my candles at home—I have so many candelabras; it's ridiculous. I've been collecting them for years, and the process of lighting them all for me is so therapeutic. And I go around the house and I pretend I'm in this medieval castle, and I light all the candles and I turn off the, all the lights, and I just I, I relax from being on my own. It's my favorite thing to do. And when you're on your own, are you still online? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I'm always dual screening. I have the TV on and my phone on. Treble screening, maybe my laptop as well. Um, but yeah, I going home, being on my own uh, away. It annoys my friends as well because they never really get to hang out with me because I'm a loner.
0: So is there a James Kavanaugh mask that comes on when you're working and when you're at these events that you can then, when you're by yourself, go, that's it, I can take him off now?
1: I think so, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, Like I, I get loads of... I because like, I am outgoing and I do like people. I enjoy it, but I I enjoy my own company and um my m- myself more. And sometimes I get I never don't get nervous when I'm going into a, a room or an event or if I'm about to go on stage and speak at something. I'm never not nearly about to vomit, and um, I can't shake that for some reasons. So I I think if I was to win you know, ten million tomorrow, I'd probably just throw all this away and and move my my dream is to move to a big rambling manor down the country. That's what I think i do. I wouldn't even have internet, I don't think.
0: This episode was produced by Amanda Fenley. The series producer is Alice O'Sullivan. I'm Rick O'Shea. Thanks for downloading Originators. You'll find details about this and all the rest of the episodes in the series on the RTE2FM website at 2fm.ie slash the collective
1: The Collective 2FM